this morning on Women's Ministry Sabbath, I want us to just take a deep breath. Just relax. Let's enjoy the message that God has for us. And truly, I wish for it to be God's message. And although I know we prayed, I want to invite you to pray with me one more time. Let's bow our heads. Dear Father in heaven, King of all eternity, dear Lord, we come to you with a humble heart this morning. We want to hear your voice. Speak to us, Lord. Use me as you would. Give us wisdom, Father, and forgive us when we think we know too much. Help us to learn today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The message this morning, just a touch, really caught my attention. And I found that this message is found in the books of Matthew, Mark, and Dr. Luke. But it's interesting because each one paints the portrait with a little bit of a different brush stroke. But interestingly, the message is really pretty much the same. But I chose the story out of the book of Mark because I liked it the best. So if you brought your swords this morning, I'm go- we're going to be studying out of the book of Mark, chapter 5. And we're going to start, um, initially I thought in verse 21, but we're going to move down a little bit. And we're going to start with verse 25. But I want to tell you about today's message. I found it to be a story within a story, and I won't, we won't talk much about the story of Jairus, but here's the setting. Jairus finds Jesus getting off the boat, and he has a desperate need. His 12-year-old daughter is dying, and he has come to Jesus to beg, to just beg for healing. And so they're on their way. When all of a sudden, something happens. There's an interruption. And today's message for me is a story within the story of Jairus. Um, It's a very short but powerful account that really left a mark in my heart when I read it. Because as I I read about a nameless, faceless woman of the Bible... We don't think of her or remember her as one of the great heroes of the Bible. She didn't build a big boat, and she didn't defeat a giant. But she had an incredible faith, and that stopped me in my tracks. Because, boy, I thought to have a faith like that, that's what I would like. It's a story of hope. It's a story of amazing faith. And it's a story about what happens when you seek Jesus and you find him. If you've been to the doctor lately, and I know we have a doctor and several nurses in our congregation, so they can correct me if I'm wrong. But if you've been to the doctor recently and you're sitting there with them, you'll find that they are making notes in a chart. And they're asking you questions. You're sharing information about your health. As you have this discussion with your doctor, you'll find that these notes 
are not published anywhere, correct? Am I right, Dr. Holness? Though that information is very confidential. That information is not to be shared. Your doctor listens to what you have to say. They evaluate you. They examine you. And they decide what the diagnosis is and what the treatment might be. But today I would like to open the files of a physician who kept good, accurate records of his patient, yet he did not hide the facts. Jesus encountered many strange cases in his ministry on earth. He healed many people. In his ministry of healing, he encountered lepers. He encounters dead people. He encounters, like this women, people with hemorrhaging or a flow of blood. And I am sure, and paralytics, and I am sure that he encounters many other illnesses that we still see today. But in this case, Jesus, the great physician, doesn't touch the patient. He doesn't prescribe medication. He doesn't even make a diagnosis, but his patient is cured. How about that? The patient paints a portrait of what happens with any sin-sick individual then and today who needs a physician and who meets the great physician What was the diagnosis? The Bible tells us that she was hemorrhaging. Other versions say she had an issue of blood. The bottom line is that this condition basically ruined her life. She had been bleeding according or hemorrhaging according to the Bible for approximately 12 years. I cannot even begin to imagine what that would be like. Leviticus tells us that there are certain things that happened with the issue of bleeding. And under Levitical law, she was unclean. Anyone or anything she touched would be considered unclean. So what does this mean? She couldn't mingle with people. She couldn't be in public places with people. She couldn't come to church. She couldn't fellowship with her community of faith. She, if she touched someone, that other person would have to go through the Jewish ritual of cleansing. She could not be married. We don't know how old she was. But if she did ever get married, her husband had to divorce her. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the pain this woman had to endure? We all have feelings. We all have heart and soul, and that kind of rejection hurts. And she had to be separated completely from society. This reduced her life to begging for scraps. She had lost everything. If she had a family and they were kind to her, maybe they would put her up. It was the custom to put the unwanted the unclean up on the rooftops and maybe build a separate room for them where they could dwell. But that's if she had a family. And we don't know. The text does not tell us about her family situations. She was on the fringes of society. She was alienated 
and possibly had no friends. And you know, when you've lost everything and everyone, life takes on a whole new perspective. Twelve years, she tried all the remedies of the time. She visited many physicians. And it's interesting because the Bible says that things got worse. I mean, you go to the doctor today and you want to get better. But she says she had suffered a great deal, verse 26. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. In addition to hemorrhaging, I imagine that she probably had some associated illnesses connected to this. Her iron level must have been low, I imagine. She must have been anemic. She must have had other illnesses connected to this, and she was probably very debilitated. The text says she suffered a great deal. I can, you know, I had to go and do a little research to find out how could it be that you go to the doctor and get worse. Logic is you hopefully go to the doctor and get better. I found this... um, I don't know what you would call it, but it's, it's um, like an encyclopedia, I guess you would call it, that was written back in A.D. 77 called Pliny's Natural History. And I'll tell you what it said. It's, um, it's the largest work, this uh, Pliny's Natural History is the largest work to have survived the Roman Empire to modern day, to today. Um, And this is what um, it said. Generally, the condition of medical science in the world at that time was very low. Physicians were accustomed to prescribe all kinds of concoctions. Made And here's some example. They made some concoctions from ashes of burnt wolves' skull, stag's horns, head of mice, the eyes of crabs, owl's brains, and the livers of frogs, and other like elements. I don't think my amoxicillin today has that stuff in it. For dysentery, powdered horse's teeth were administered, and if you had a cold, it was cured by kissing a mule's nose. I left my son home today. He wasn't feeling well, but I don't think I'm going to be looking for a mule for him. From Jewish writings, such as the Talmud, we learn of some of these cures as well. One remedy consisted of drinking a goblet of wine containing a powder component compounded from rubber, alum, and garden crocuses. Another treatment consisted of a dose of Persian onions in wine administered with the summons, arise out of your flow of blood, and that should cure you. Other physicians prescribed sudden shock. In other words, they would catch you off guard and frighten you, and that should cure you. Um, Another prescription was that you had to carry the ash of an ostrich egg in a special cloth, and then you would be cured. How's that? (laughs) Do you think we'd be healed? They took her money. They took her money to give her these prescriptions, which were a pain, and her pain grew worse. Church, this woman paints a clear picture 
of every person who does not know Christ. We have a condition called sin that afflicts us. And no matter what we do, no matter how many mules' noses we kiss, we cannot cure ourselves. And then comes Jesus on the road, walking amongst a throng of people. And verses 27 and 29 describe the scene. And I love sometimes as I read that, sometimes we read the Bible and we read it just to read it. But if you live it, if you picture yourself in that moment, in that culture, in that society, and you kind of taste what it must have been like, and I can almost imagine her. The verse says that she heard about Jesus. There's evangelical nuances in this story. She heard about Jesus. Who told her? How did she hear? How did you hear about Jesus? Why are you here today? How does this happen? We share. We have ministries in our church. We have evangelism. We have you. You, the individual who can make a friend, who can share, who can tell the poor, hemorrhaging, sinful person like us. You share with another and say, hey, I've heard about this man who has done wonders in my life. The king of kings, the Lord of lords. It takes sharing. It takes somebody telling you about this Jesus so that then you can say, I've heard. I've heard. I remember growing up every Sunday morning, my my mom would bring us to Mass. There was a small Catholic church two blocks away from my house. I'll never forget that church. It was called La Iglesia de Cristo Rey, the, the Church of Christ the King. And we would go there religiously every Sunday morning. But every Sunday morning, I would get a bowl of cereal for breakfast because we were running to church and my mom would always turn the radio on and on the radio we would listen in Spanish to this beautiful melodic voice of a man who would say that they were going to start the world famous radio program La Voz de la Esperanza the voice of prophecy and every Sunday before mass we would listen to this program and my mom on the way to church would say, what a beautiful voice, what a beautiful message, what a beautiful program. Until one day in the radio we heard that they were coming to town to do some kind of thing called an evangelistic series. We had to go. Somebody shared, and we heard, and here I am today. Because somebody shared, someone has to share. And I can't get over, I had to stop because I can't get over the fact that she heard about Jesus. And in order to hear about Jesus, somebody has to speak up. And we, we, the church, must speak up. Because somebody's dying. And we can't let that happen. We, that person, whoever 
that person was, who shared, is of significant element in this story. Then what happens? Someone shared. And then there's this little something that goes on in the heart where faith is born. So she connected with, I've heard, I hope, I hope. And here's where faith comes in. She believed, she started to figure this out in her mind. If I can only touch his garment, if I can just touch, just a touch, I can be healed. That unobtrusive, silent touch, the coming near to that man, that big personality, that individual that I don't know quite well, but if I can just touch his garment, I can be healed. Possibly conditioned to this rejection that she'd been through and the isolation she'd been through, she dared not approach Jesus the way Jairus did and said, Lord, please heal my daughter. She didn't say, Lord, please heal me. For her, it was just to be quiet, to just come from behind somehow and touch his garment, a silent touch. How about you? How about me? I believe that in one way or another, we can all connect with this woman. What hurts your heart today? What is in my heart this Sabbath morning? Is our marriage not where it should be? Are things not going so smoothly? Are we going through tough times maybe with our kids? Maybe things aren't so great at home. Are we feeling so distant, so distant from God that we feel that we don't have that deep, meaningful relationship with our Creator that we wish we could have? Some in church here are dealing with illness, tough illnesses. Over the last few years, For the size of our church, to me, it's been incredible how many of us have been through death, where we have felt the death of a loved one. And somehow still, although we have hope and time helps to heal, we still feel the sting of death, and we still grieve. We're facing troubling economic times in our world today. Many are losing their jobs and more recently, we're dealing with this health epidemic that's, re- that's spreading rapidly through different parts of the world and in our own country. We're dealing with issues. We're dealing with tough stuff. Like her, like this woman, this faceless woman, we too have lots of issues, but we are called to do what she did. We are, and I was reminded of Joshua 1.9. We are called to be courageous. We are called to have faith. And we are called to be strong. And you know what? When you fix, when you, when you bring courage and faith together, amazing things will happen. I'm taking classes recently, and I was in class... Um, for the last couple of weeks, 
And it's interesting because some of the professors who've come are from Eastern Europe, and they share stories about living in communism, things that to me are foreign, that when they speak it because they've lived it, it brings on a whole new perspective than what you read in a history book. And we were, we were specifically talking about faith. And there's something that this professor shared that I will never, ever, ever forget when it comes to faith. In Auschwitz, the largest Nazi German concentration and extermination camp, they found a carving in one of the wooden bunkers, and it said like this, I believe in the sun, even though I don't see it. I believe in love, even though I don't feel it. I believe in God, even though he is silent. And I think that when we go through tough times, we may feel God's silence, but we believe in God. And this woman, maybe in year seven of her hemorrhaging, she felt the silence of God. But today, today, she was ready to believe, to pour her heart out and just say, I completely give myself. I believe. She worked her way through the crowd. She risked public humiliation. And if noticed, and if nothing happened, she could be stoned to death. When she was near enough to reach out that she figured, I can touch him now, she reached out her trembling hand and touched. Just that touch. I don't know if she grabbed the full piece of cloth or just the fringes of his tassel, I don't know exactly what she touched, but you know, she touched. And immediately, immediately, she received what none of the physicians could give her. She was healed, completely and instantly healed. What what kind of a God do we have? Think about it. It's so hard to wrap our brain around something like that. To have instant ceasing of that blood, complete and total restoration, possibly better than she was before. Imagine that. Imagine what that must have been like. Jesus realized at that moment, we have to read this in the Bible, verse 30. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. In the Greek, power, that word power is dunamis. And that's where we get our word dynamite or dynamo. Imagine the kind of power that's being, that's being described here. In other versions, this dunamis is also translated as virtue or energy. This is the kind of stuff that went out from Jesus and into her. I want some of that. Don't we all want some of that power that only Christ can give? Just as that woman, my friends, all of us, all of us who come to him in faith, we can find healing for our souls. The process usually begins when a sinner hears about Jesus. 
And once faith is activated and you take courage like she did, then you know what? Faith and, and courage joined together, nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing can keep you away from Christ. When we experience just that touch, when we just touch the master, everything changes. Uh, John Wilkinson, in his book about, speaking of Jesus' ministry of healing, in his book um, entitled Health and Healing, Studies in New Testament Principles and Practices, says healing of the body was never purely physical, and the salvation of the soul is never purely spiritual, but both are combined in the total deliverance of the whole man. Interesting. God is here to heal us, not only for that one little portion, not only for the hemorrhaging of the blood. He was there to heal her physically and spiritually and wherever else she possibly could, feel, could need the healing. The compassion of her healer was amazing. Christ's reaction just amazes me. Because remember, don't forget about Jairus. They're on a mission. Jairus is stressed. If it were my daughter, I'd be, oh, no, God, Jesus stopped. He needs to continue. But Jesus stops. And imagine this. He stops. Everything stops. And the question comes, who touched my clothes? And it's interesting because then in the book of um, Luke, Luke says, who touched me? So, and, and I, I was curious about the difference. Why did one say, who touched my clothes, while the other one said, who touched me? And here's where in the beginning I mentioned it's interesting to understand the culture and the society of that time. There was great Hellenistic influence. The Greeks were really into magical powers. So the who touched my clothes could have been interpreted as, oh, magic. Where Luke, Dr. Luke, is saying, wait a minute, it's not about the clothes. He says, who touched me? It's about the person of Jesus Christ. But Pastor Peter immediately responds to Jesus, what do you mean who touched you? There's so many people around you. Everyone's gathered around you. Lots of people are touching. What do you mean? What do you mean who touched you? But Jesus had not stopped to ask who touched me, really, he was stopping because he needed to identify this woman. And had he not stopped, no one would have known of the miracle, possibly until much later. But interestingly, Jesus is so smart, isn't he? He stops to clarify things. He knows Jairus is right there pressing by his side, but he stops in order to correct any misconceptions. This was not about magic. Verse 34, read it with me. Verse 34, Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. No magic. It was her faith that saved her and healed her. It was not his clothes. It was this new relationship with Jesus through faith that made her whole. I believe that the Lord delayed in order to give the woman an opportunity to give public testimony. Think of that moment. Who touched me? I can imagine this crowd comes to a dead silence, and he's trying to look around. 
He already knows what happened. He knows who she is. But he gives her the opportunity to come forward. Similar to what we do when we get into the baptismal back here and make public testimony of what Christ has done, what transforming power there has been in our life through Jesus Christ. Her reply, she knew she couldn't just bow out and fall into obscurity. She had to come forward. There was no choice. Trembling, I can imagine, with fears, nerves, and an awe of what just had happened. She comes forward, and she kneels before Jesus, and she tells him her story. She tells him what her life has been like. She tells him about her suffering and her pain. She shares with him. Can you picture yourself in her place, on your knees, before your master and creator? You tell him, what are your pains? What is your hurt? What have you been through? What are you going through? What are your needs? Share with him like she shared with him. His response will be like his response was to her, a response of compassion and of caring. He acknowledges her testimony and he speaks words of comfort. He doesn't berate her. She contaminated him. She touched him. But that doesn't matter because he is Jesus Christ. He praises her and does not credit the healing to his own power. That's so interesting. He tells her it's your faith. He empowers her. He lets her know that she's special. She lets her know that her faith is special. He calls her daughter. I love that. Verse 34, he says, daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. He heals her. He affirms her. He lifts her up and he blesses her for all to see. You know, just like this woman, all those who come to Jesus, we get far more than what we expected. When we seek Jesus, even if it's just to touch, just to touch his garments, we discover that we're children of God. We discover that we have a home in heaven. We discover that there's new direction in our lives. We discover that we can be free from the power of sin. And we discover that we are so deeply and passionately loved. I don't know where you are in your journey, but I do know that like this woman, we experience tough times in life. We all need to reach out in faith and touch Jesus. He will heal us. He's ready to heal us and to give us new hope and a humbling awe of knowing that our once broken and sick bodies can be made whole and we can discover recovery and wholeness in him. May your faith and may my faith make us whole. God bless you.